0: You're listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino, Placerville. And it's time for the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Ben Franklin Crafts, locally owned and offering the beauty and color of fall for arts and crafts. Also, home decor, school projects, and knitting. Ben Franklin Crafts on Sutton Way, Grass Valley, online at benfranklin-crafts.com. And also we'd like to thank Sweetland Garden Mercantile in North San Juan on the Ridge, offering organic compost, tea, and soil, bloom and trim supplies, also household tools. That's 292-9000, sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. And we'd like to thank California Solar Electric Company, a locally owned solar cooperative. California Solar Electric Company is a SunPower Elite dealer designing and installing residential home battery storage and commercial solar systems in Nevada County since 2000. Information, CaliforniaSolarCo.com. After the NPR headlines and local weather, we'll have this week's edition of Bravehearts. Also, I'll be talking with Al Stoller about what's up in the sky. And we'll have a special report from NPR on the declining enrollment in freshman classes throughout the entire country. Closing out today's newscast, we'll have an essay by Molly Fisk. 6 6.30, we'll be broadcasting The Money Show with Mark Cunaberdi and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines, followed by regional weather.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. A government advisory panel has endorsed a second coronavirus vaccine for emergency use, the move paving the way for the FDA to add the shot to the U.S. vaccination campaign. The latest vaccine comes from Moderna, with the 20-member panel agreeing by unanimous vote the benefits outweigh any risks. Dr. Dorian Fink is Deputy Director of the Division of Vaccines and Related Product Applications at the Food and Drug Administration.
2: We have reviewed uh, extensive manufacturing uh, information. Uh, for this EUA request and do feel confident uh, that we have enough information to justify uh, uh, issuing an EUA.
1: Moderna's vaccine, like the one developed by rival Pfizer, requires two shots, but does not apparently have to be kept at the same extreme cold temperatures as the Pfizer vaccine. Another vaccine is needed with the U.S. COVID-19 death toll now nearing 310,000. President-elect Joe Biden says he'll nominate New Mexico Congresswoman Deb Holland to lead the Department of the Interior. NPR's Nathan Rott reports she would be the first Native American to lead the agency that manages roughly a fifth of U.S. lands and the country's relationship with Native tribes. In an interview with NPR before her nomination, Holland made clear what her priority would be as Interior Secretary.
3: Climate change is the challenge of our lifetime. And uh, it's imperative that we invest in an equitable, renewable energy economy.
2: That echoes the stated goal
1: of the incoming Biden administration, which is to greatly reduce the country's dependence on climate warming fossil fuels. If confirmed as Interior Secretary, Holland would play a vital role in achieving that aim. Roughly a quarter of all the U.S.'s greenhouse gas emissions come from public lands. Nathan Robb. NPR News. A host of European leaders and officials have rushed to self-quarantine after President Emmanuel Macron tested positive for the coronavirus. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reports Macron was busy this week, lunching with the Spanish Prime Minister and meeting with Portugal's leader and top EU officials.
4: The French president, who's only 42 and in good shape, is said to have only mild symptoms. World leaders rushed to wish Macron a speedy recovery. Sorry to hear my friend has tested positive, tweeted British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, leaving aside tensions over Brexit. Outside a pharmacy, Parisians line up to get tested. Dora Bobanovich says this isn't like when the American and British leaders got the virus.
5: I think people thought it was ironic when Trump and Boris Johnson got COVID because they were so dismissive of COVID from the beginning as opposed to Macron, Who, she says,
4: has been straightforward
5: and consulted the experts. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Paris.
1: Stocks closed higher on Wall Street today. The Dow up 148 points. The Nasdaq rose 106 points. The S&P 500 was up 21 points. This is NPR. The Northeast is digging out of the season's first major snowstorm that's left as much as two feet of snow in some parts of New York State. Emperor's Hansi Luang reports the winter weather has not stopped the distribution of COVID-19 vaccines.
6: In New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo says the vaccines are still arriving by plane and delivery trucks.
2: There is no significant disruption in places where we need to supplement the transportation with four-wheel drive vehicles, uh, heavy equipment. We're doing that.
6: Still, the governor has declared a state of emergency in more than a dozen counties in New York because of the snowstorm. Cuomo says the Finger Lakes region between Syracuse and Rochester is also dealing with a significant spike in the number of people entering hospitals because of the coronavirus. Cuomo is urging the public to continue wearing masks and social distancing.
1: NPR News, New York. The state of Florida will have wider authority over its wetlands under terms of an action granted by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, in a move long sought by developers removing key layers of federal scrutiny over projects, making it easier for builders to obtain permits in wetland areas. The changes come under immediate criticism from environmentalists, though, who have vowed legal challenges, arguing sensitive areas are now at risk. Around a fifth of the country's wetlands are located in Florida. The move to shift authority over to the state comes just weeks before President elect Joe Biden is due to be sworn in. Critical futures prices moved higher amid expectations that further coronavirus relief may be forthcoming from Congress. Oil was up 54 cents a barrel, ending the session at 48.36 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News.
0: And taking a look at the weather. First, here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, looks like we'll have a low of 39, high of 55 tomorrow, mostly sunny over the weekend with highs in the low 60s. No rain for the next week or so. Sacramento will have a low of 37, high of 57, mostly sunny through Sunday with highs in the upper 50s and lower 60s. And in Truckee, low of 11 tonight, high of 41 tomorrow. Again, mostly sunny Friday, Saturday and Sunday with highs in the upper 40s and no rain or snow in the forecast.
1: Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts,
7: where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis.
1: We are your hosts, William Wallace
7: and Betty Louise,
1: and these are the Bravehearts.
7: Hello, everybody. This is Betty Louise, and I am here with my friend and colleague, Darren, who is a peer support specialist at Insight Respite Center.
8: Man, I, I cannot tell you the value of a peer relationship. In fact, Insight Respite Center this year got the most valuable program in Nevada County for mental health that is customer satisfaction, that is people saying, that program works for me. And that's something to be super proud of, right?
7: I should yeah, say, yeah. and so why don't you tell us exactly what Inside Respite Center is like?
8: Well, in maintaining my own mental illness and maintaining my own sobriety, it's like um, I've got a lot of self-awareness. I know what's coming around the corner. It's like, oh, that's depression, that's mania, and now I'm prepared for it. But if it comes to a point where it's like I can't manage it on my own and I feel like I need hospitalization, but that's not quite appropriate for me because I'm not in a very desperate place, I can go to a respite where I can talk with peers that, who are, have been through my same experience and same emotions and can relate you know, and can say, hey, this worked for me. It might work for you. Or yes, I can absolutely relate and sympathize with you, and I'm here for you. The connection is so important. If for somebody to talk to me about drug and alcohol addiction that has no experience and is just like a professional, well, that's admirable. But you know, I often can't relate, and they can't relate to me. It's really important to have that that lived experience connection. So what we do there? This place is set up so nice. They're individual rooms, right? and it's set up like a little bed and breakfast almost you know they have a run to the kitchen they have arts and crafts to do and like you know i'll teach like a creative writing prompt or you know art you know whatever the house wants to do sometimes i've had big cooking sessions where all of women get together we make raviolis and and you know that in itself when we have a group that's all depressed and we start making raviolis or something crazy and they all jump in on it all the women start talking amongst themselves and this is what we want this is how it works and it becomes this like little community of people that are healing together and that can bounce their their issues their problems their their sorrows their griefs off of somebody who can reflect back and it's real magic what happens we see people go from real lows To saying, I really liked my experience here. Thank you so much. I think I can do this.
7: Wow. I did see that there was like a referral form. So I'm assuming that you can't just come to the door and say, I want a room, that you need to get referred by someone. And so, what's that process?
8: The nice thing is that respites are available for anybody in Nevada County. So, actually, you can call and say, Hey, I would like to refer myself. They'll give you numbers and go through Nevada County Behavioral Health. They are the gateway, but still, you just fill out a simple form and you're in. Meals provided every day up to two weeks. It's also for people who are transitioned, people who are coming back from a hospital, say, they're not quite ready to go back into the living space that they've been in. So, they come stay with us. So, they kind of gradually get back into the, their lifestyle. Some people have been out of jail for uh, DUIs even, you know, that sort of thing. Their lives are a wreck and they're just coming back and they just kind of need a few days to get together before they go home or whatever. There's lots of reasons why we might have people at respite, but the number one is that they are experiencing a mental health crisis.
7: How do you connect with the homeless community or is it just a matter of if they show up?
8: I would say there's about 19, 20, about 20%, you know, of our our guests are homeless. And um, they're people that I see, you know, in the community.
1: Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind.
7: This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities please visit C-A-L-H-U-M dot org.
0: Well, I'm talking to Al Stoller, and Al, it's been quite a while since we've uh, had a little session of What's Up in the Sky? It's been a really long time, and it's sure, sure nice to uh, connect with you again.
2: I agree, Paul, and I—I uh, I forget why it is. I can't get into the studio right now.
0: No, well, it's because of the virus. We just can't let people in. Uh, yes, live. yes, yes. And virus. that's that's the whole thing. But anyway, here we are, and uh, we're going to talk about Jupiter and Saturn. Um, Al, the people have been watching those planets wander through the sky for thousands of years, but they don't usually get close together. But that's going to be different this week. How, how close will they actually get next Monday?
2: Well, that's an excellent question. And the first thing I want to say is that they're not going to get anywhere near each other. Those two planets are almost a half billion miles apart.
0: Okay but they looked like they're going to be close.
2: There you go. You got it. And an easy way to see what's happening is, well, I'm sitting in my room right now, and I've got a table lamp, excuse me, a floor lamp right in front of me. And then some distance back, about 10 feet behind it, there's a chair. And the chair is almost behind table lamps, so they kind of look like they're side by side. And if I move my head, I can make them move closer together. So it's happening, given the fact that our heads are pretty firmly attached to our bodies, and our bodies are pretty firmly attached by gravity to the Earth. As the Earth moves around, it moves our heads around. And what it's doing is moving our heads so that Monday, Jupiter and Saturn are going to look like, in the sky, they're going to look like they are right next to each other, side by side.
0: But they're not. They're going to be how, how far apart?
2: Almost a half billion miles apart, Saturn behind Jupiter.
0: <laughs> so it's just the proximity of where we are to look at them that makes it look like they're close together.
2: Exactly. But it is going to be real pretty. Uh, it will be especially pretty tonight. Now, the sky is clearing, and I'm hoping it clears enough to see it, but by tomorrow night it should be clear enough. Tonight, the crescent moon will be very easy to find in the southwest. And then, if you look to the right of the crescent moon, tomorrow night will be a little bit further to the right, but either night, tonight or tomorrow, to the right of the crescent moon, there will be planet Jupiter. Super, super bright. It's a huge planet. If you could weigh it, it would weigh more than 300 times the Earth. So it's so big, it's just reflecting a lot of sunlight. And then, if you look closely, just naked eye, at about 10 o'clock, just off the shoulder of Jupiter, there is much, much dimmer planet Saturn. And they are, as you say, coming closer together in the sky.
0: So that's what's happening up in the sky of uh, this week. And also the uh, solstice is happening.
2: Uh, yeah, the solstice Monday night, you're right. It's the uh, winter solstice, shortest day of the year. And uh, just an, a really exciting time. Shortest sure, day of the year means the days are going to start getting longer finally. But, you know, we still have January and February. We still have the latest sunrise coming. I'll be talking about that in a week or two. So uh, we still have a little, we're still a bit light-challenged, I guess you might say. So it means we've really got to concentrate on keeping it together.
0: I woke up this morning at 4 in the morning, and I thought of the Leonard Cohen song. It's four in the morning, the end of December. That's just about as dark a time as you're ever going to find.
2: <laughs> no doubt. Well put. Yeah, that's a good line. I'd like to hear you sing that sometime.
0: Al, thank you so much. And thanks for, uh, let's just keep in touch, okay? We can do this whenever we feel like, you know? So,
2: Sounds um, real good. And so uh, let, me, let me just, let me just uh, say that, again, tonight and tomorrow night, Jupiter and Saturn, right close to it, will be just to the right of the moon. By Monday night, the moon's going to be way far away from them. But by looking tonight or tomorrow night, you'll know right where to look, because Jupiter and Saturn will still be in the same place as soon as it gets dark.
0: Thank you, Al. Thank you very much.
2: My pleasure. Take care, Paul.
0: I've been speaking with Al Stoller, and it was an edition of What's Up in the Sky, which we hope to do more often. Thank you, Al. Talk to you soon.
2: Great. Bye-bye.
5: New data is showing that the pandemic is having a profound impact on college enrollment. Turns out a lot of students and their families didn't want to shell out big money for college tuition exclusively for online classes. But NPR's Alyssa Nadworny says this downward trend was visible even before COVID-19 upended everything. Alyssa joins us this morning. Hey there. Good morning. Give us a rundown of these new numbers, Alyssa.
4: Well, it's not good. Undergrad college enrollment fell 3.6 percent compared with last fall. That represents a drop of more than half a million undergrads. That's twice the rate of enrollment decline we saw in 2019. Hmm. The data comes from the National Student Clearinghouse. Here's Doug Shapiro, who leads the research there.
6: To see this level of decline all at once is so sudden and so dramatic.
4: Community colleges, which historically see enrollment go up in times of economic trouble, were the hardest hit and made up the majority of the decline. This fall, across programs and degrees, those institutions alone were missing more than half a million students.
6: Individuals whose lives are on hold. You can almost think of this as an entire generation that will enter adulthood with lower education, lower skills, less employability, ultimately lower productivity when they enter the workforce.
4: And community colleges also tend to serve more low-income students, students raising kids, people who are working. The only places where enrollment increased were graduate programs and for-profit colleges. Often those have a track record of being online already and the advertising budget to prove it. So, Alyssa,
5: I mean, how much of this can be attributed to the fact that that students, potential college students, just didn't see it as being worth it to pay for tuition for college when it was going to be online?
4: Yeah. So certainly the pandemic has a lot to do with it. But, you know, college enrollment has been on the downward decline for nearly a decade. And projections show that in a few years, the number of high school graduates will start to shrink. So the pool is going to get smaller. I mean, uh, that's going to be bad news for these institutions, no? That's right. Low enrollment means fewer tuition dollars, which means less revenue, a.k.a. cuts. (laughs) cuts. <laughs> right. um, all across the country, institutions have announced furloughs and layoffs. They've cut sports and majors at some schools, even entire departments. Here's Dominique Baker, a professor of education policy at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. This is not good. We are in a very bad financial time for higher education. And the, the most unfortunate part is I I don't see that we have sort of reached the bottom yet. She says the only way she can see a way out of this is money from the federal government. Congress is working out a deal right now that will include money for colleges. But the question is, will it be enough?
5: I mean, do we know any more about why? Mm -hmm. Who these students are that aren't showing up to college,
4: deciding not to go? Yeah. So one of the largest groups missing from college this fall was first-time students. I've been talking to many of those would-be students And I want you to meet a recent high school grad from Stafford, Texas, named Brian Williams. Throughout high school, the plan was always for him to go right on to college. But the pandemic changed that.
6: I'm terrible at online school.
4: He says he was barely interested in logging on for his final weeks of high school. Being online for his first semester at Houston Community College felt unbearable.
6: Because I know, like, what worked best for me. And, like, doing stuff on the computer doesn't really stimulate me in the same way an actual class would.
4: Plus, there were the family's finances to consider.
6: We had no money for it. And I'm not trying to go into debt and pay that for the rest of like my life.
4: So he postponed, deciding to get a job in fast food at Jimmy John's so he could start saving up. For students who graduated from high school in the class of 2020, like Williams, college going rates are down nearly 22% compared with last year. For graduates at high poverty high schools, the numbers are even worse. The data doesn't come as a surprise to Catalina Sefuentes, who works to promote college access for Riverside County, California, just east of Los Angeles. She thinks back to the spring when so many of her seniors were getting ready to graduate. We
7: went into basic needs mode. We went into feeding them. We went into making sure they had a device, making sure they had pencils in your pens and your paper and your books. It was things like college and career readiness or talking about college or college
4: applications. They took a back seat. The students in Hurt County are mostly from low-income families and many would be the first in their family to go to college.
7: We are potentially losing an entire generation of students that their lives will be completely different if we don't step in, especially the students that are institution dependent.
4: There's been a lot of talk about people taking a year off or a gap year. Sifuentes says whatever you call it, It's not good for her students.
7: The longer you're out of school, the less likely you are to return, especially for students that live in poverty, that live in lower income communities. Gap years of, let me just work and make $15,000 for the year, and then I'm going to quit and go back, it doesn't happen.
4: Riley Borup worries about not going back too. He's in his late 20s, and when the pandemic hit, he was enrolled at a community college outside Seattle studying engineering. Like Williams, he learned quickly that online school was not for him.
1: We were dealing with this little like circuit board and it was just something that it would have been so much easier to do in person. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you're doing the Zoom thing and it's like, man, I wish someone could just point this out to me, which, you know, which one I should be doing right now.
4: So he withdrew. He got a job collecting garbage to pass the time and pay the rent. The pause in school is temporary, he says. But there are days he's afraid he won't ever get that degree.
1: Definitely like an internal battle where sometimes I'm like, I might just join the military, <laughs> you know what I mean? But then I'm like, no, nah, you know, I've, I've this is my goal, and then I'm gonna stick with it.
4: For Brian Williams, the first few weeks working at Jimmy John's in Texas were tough.
1: It felt low key defeating.
6: I was just like, I really like, I'm not doing college, and then I'm getting paid only twenty four dollars an hour.
4: But then work started giving him more shifts, and he mastered the art of making a sandwich in less than thirty seconds.
6: Pull the bread off the rack cut it in the middle, and then you, you scoop the mayo out the thing. You have to spread it, like, in one second. You get tomatoes, you put that on, you put the lettuce on, and then you pull the meats and wrap it. And that's how you do it fast. I'm, like, reenacting the movements right now.
4: Two weeks ago, he got promoted to manager, but he's not giving up on college.
6: I use this time to grow mentally and to grow financially.
5: Using his time to grow mentally and financially and making a lot of sandwiches. I mean, he sounds like at least he's he's got a good plan. Yep, he's going to go. That's what he says. So, Alyssa, in terms of the current admissions cycle, what are seniors in high school now facing?
4: So at least with the class of 2020, college counselors and teachers were in person during the fall application period. But this year, many people are remote. You know, they're disconnected, and that makes it really hard to apply to college. National data so far isn't looking promising. As of December 4th, the number of students who filled out the federal form to get student aid was down 14 percent. The drop's more dramatic among low-income students and non-white students. And some colleges are even pushing back their application deadlines.
5: Alyssa Nadworny, she covers higher ed for NPR. Alyssa, thank you. Thank you.
0: You are listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KC, PC, Camino, Placerville, and this is the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, we have The Money Show with Mark Kuniberti, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have Molly Fisk with an essay.
2: Molly Fisk Observations from a Working Poet.
3: Every now and then, I sit around the house like a sloth and read mail order catalogs. It's really great. At this point, I have mostly bowed out of popular culture and its sexy second cousin, advertising. I live far from billboards, have no TV, only listen to public or community radio, get bored with magazines, and long ago put an ad blocker on my computer. This is not out of high-mindedness, particularly, just a sincere distaste at being told what to do. I also need a lot of empty space in my head so poems can germinate there. But every now and then, as a person might need to binge on horrible junk food, like Twinkies or Velveeta, My mind craves a break from the real world. Sometimes it's Swedish mysteries, which I can pretend are part of my writing research, and sometimes it's catalogs, which I can't. They are where you find out, even for size 3X, that saffron is everywhere in women's clothing this fall, and owls are still trending in home decor. Saffron sweaters, saffron skinny jeans, saffron lingerie. There are owl vases, owl lamps, owls looking up at you from plates, platters, and bowls. There are even owl towels, God save us from the rhyme. Owls and foxes arrive together on the retail horizon, but I think foxes have not had the same shelf life. I could be wrong. Boy, could I be wrong. But this is my deduction after perusing Viva Terra and Uncommon Goods, West Elm, Anthropology plus Crate & Barrel, Restoration Hardware, Ula Popkin, Pottery Barn, Gudrun Sjöden, Vermont Country Store, The Company Store, and J. Jill. I am not, as I say too often, a wealthy woman. But my upper-middle-class background and an impulsive dad with champagne taste taught me horrible habits. It's taken years to learn not to buy what I don't need. But I still like to sit on the sofa every autumn, surrounded by glossy paper that promises endless happiness and acceptance by my peers. With a felt tip pen, I circle everything it would be fun to own or give to friends. I dog ear pages. I throw out all my furniture in my mind, repaint the walls, and start anew. I take a lot of time choosing colors and admire the snazzy backgrounds. Rooms full of good lighting with no Kleenex boxes in sight. I don't keep this a secret particularly, but I don't think I've done it in front of other people either. It seems more a seasonal pleasure like eggnog than a true addiction. It made me very happy a few years back to discover my favorite ex-boyfriend's mother did exactly the same thing. We both filled out the order forms and added up the totals too, plus tax and shipping. On our separate sofas, it turned out we were each spending thousands. It was pretty funny. And, like-minded to the end, after a few hours we got up mysteriously satisfied and dumped the entire armload of imagining into the recycling bin.
2: Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
0: Well, that's our newscast for this evening. Up next, we have The Money Show with Mark Cunaberdi and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Paul Emery. Thanks for listening. Folks, you have been listening to KVMR's Evening News.